Welcome to The Birth Debrief, a safe place where women and families are invited to share their stories of pregnancy, birth and postpartum journeys. The Birth Debrief centers experiences that may be difficult for others to hear. We are lifting the lid on topics that aren't often spoken about. Loss, infertility, discrimination, obstetric violence, birth trauma and so much more. If you are processing any trauma or pain from your parenting or birth experiences, please consider whether listening to these stories may be right for you at this moment in time. In today's episode, I interview Tamara. Tamara is a young mum living in Sydney with her husband and son. Tamara shares how she went into birth confident and aiming for a natural and intervention-free birth, but how these plans went awry when she was coerced into an unwanted induction around her 40th week of pregnancy. We talk about how she felt discriminated against and judged for her age, and how she feels that led to her birth plans falling through and ending up in an unplanned caesarean section. With so many women choosing to have babies later on in life, I think this discussion is a really important one to share, and it gives a good insight into how age is perceived by the medical system. Thank you so much for coming on today. I'm so happy that you reached out to me and we're happy to put your your story forward for me to share with others. Did you want to take a moment just to introduce yourself and your family? Okay, so my name is Tamara. I am 22 years of age um, and I have a seven-month-old little boy and a husband. Okay, so let's jump straight into your pregnancy and parenting journey. Did you did you plan your pregnancy or was it unexpected? Um, it was a bit of both. So uh, we decided to go off the contraception that I was on um, and just give it a month to see if we would fall pregnant or not. And, yeah, that first month we actually fell pregnant. So it was a bit of a surprise. I think neither of us were kind of expecting it to happen that fast. But it was a good thing that it happened, for sure. Yeah, definitely. I don't think – I think lots of people aren't, aren't expecting to fall pregnant as quickly as they do. Exactly, exactly. And because so many of my friends and family, some of them have struggled with falling pregnant in the past, so a part of me was wondering if I'd have the same issue. Yeah, the stories that surround you can really influence how you feel about your own journey. Yeah, definitely. Um, at the time as well, I had – two cousins that were both pregnant and they both miscarried. We were all two weeks apart. Um, So the one two weeks behind me and the one two weeks in front, they both lost their babies. So that was definitely scary. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's really hard. Yeah. And it would have been really hard for them as well considering your pregnancy continued on and and theirs didn't. Exactly. And then when we had the baby, I think a part of them are quite sad to realise that their babies would have been you at that same time as well. Yeah, I can empathise with that. Oh, that's really tough. How was that for you? Did that put pressure on you? Did you feel guilty kind of sharing your story around them? I did actually. Yeah, I did um, because one of them I'm particularly close with. So it was really hard for me to talk to her about being pregnant and I felt if I complained about it or, you know, had a moment where I was like, oh, you know, this sucks. A part of me thought that she'd just be dreaming to have that happen, just to have a baby. So, yeah, it did. there were moments where I did feel a little bit guilty. That is really, really tough because even when you've wanted a baby for so long and you're pregnant, it's still fucking hard. It is really hard. Yeah, I didn't realise it would be the way that it was, that's for sure. (laughs) 
Oh, and there are times where even though you want it, you're kind of like some days you're like, I just wish I wasn't pregnant today. Exactly. Yeah, particularly if there was like an event on or we were going out somewhere and everyone's like drinking and having fun and I'm sitting there so tired, just wanting to go home. <laughs> oh. What was your view on on childbirth before you fell pregnant or once you fell pregnant? What was your kind of, what were you hoping to achieve with your birth and what was your experience around um with birth prior to that, like your family or friends or anything like that? I think when, before I felt pregnant, I don't think I really looked much into birth or birth stories. I'd watched the occasion, like the occasional influencers birth vlog, but it wasn't until I actually fell pregnant myself that I started to really look into how I wanted my birth to be. My mother-in-law, she has four sons and she gave birth to all four of them quite naturally. Um, and one of them, she had him on the living room floor. Wow. Um, so I think a part of me really wanted to do like the most organic version of a birth, like very natural, no intervention. Yeah, my goal was to have baby using like warm water, like a water bath or a home birth. Yeah, that was my goal. That was my goal. It's really good that you had someone with that experience behind you because often, especially with this generation of people, um, the generation before us, most of the births are highly medicalized and yes. intervention rates are quite high. So the stories that we have leading into like my mum and, you know, my grandmother and all of that, they're not the stories that I would be hoping to achieve with my own births now. So yeah. it's hard when you don't have people around you that have good influence on what you want to achieve for your birth. Exactly. I think to be honest, it wasn't until after I had my baby that I all these stories of women quite similar to mine were being told to me. I didn't really know the whole side of the medical side of the birth um, and a part of me kind of wishes I'd researched into that a little bit more before I had Brave. I think that would have maybe shaped a lot of what had happened towards the later stages of my pregnancy. Oh, so... Um... What, how was your pregnancy? How did uh, that all unfold for you? Um, so with my pregnancy, <laughs> I think for first pregnancy, it was quite, um, yeah, quite the, you're pregnant, here it is. So I had morning sickness all the way up to labor, um, really bad heartburn. And then halfway through my pregnancy, I got some bleeding as well which um, led me to go to hospital. So that was quite scary. Yeah, that's really difficult. And did you end up, were you already booked into a hospital when you went to the hospital um, to check up on the bleeding? I was booked into a hospital um, that was a 15-minute drive for me. So when I actually woke up bleeding, it was probably about 2 o'clock in the morning, my husband drove me to the nearest hospital um, and they were actually quite rude to me because my yellow card wasn't registered there, my birthing card. Oh, God. Um, and they, they kind of made it quite clear that I shouldn't be at that hospital. <laughs> um, so then I went back to Bankstown the next time it happened. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Like they should accept who you're obviously woken up in the middle of the night and you're really worried about your baby. You're not. They're both quite half asleep as well. So we were just more like more concerned about getting to a hospital fast. And the one that we went to was a five minute drive compared to a 15 minute. So it was just, we were just like, yeah, let's just go to this one now. And if we need to, we'll go to that other one. So that uh, that really pisses me off because if you th if you think like worst case scenario if something had have been really, really wrong, wrong with your pregnancy and you had have lost the baby and they're like giving you shit about not having yeah. your fucking yellow card like they made a really big big deal about 
having to call the other hospital at like you know to get all my information and oh my god yeah I felt a little bit I felt a little bit stupid about it going to that hospital um, yeah that's really hard yeah so that wasn't the funnest experience <laughs> what ended up happening with with the bleeding did they give you any answers or did it resolve itself it kind of a bit of both so they they couldn't give me an exact answer as to what had caused it um but it did go away I didn't end up getting any more bleeding which was good Um, Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I want to just interject here for anyone who's listening because I, I had bleeding in my second pregnancy from seven weeks right through to 20 weeks when I ended up losing the baby. And from seven weeks to 14 weeks, I was bleeding quite heavily. And every single person I saw, every GP I saw, every hospital I went to, kept telling me that it was normal, that it was normal, this is normal, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And at the time it was comforting to me because I was like, okay, well, I don't think it's normal, but like, okay, well, if it's normal, that's okay. Like I didn't think it was normal, but everyone kept telling me it was normal. But I just wanted to say that when you are experiencing bleeding, if you if you feel in your gut that something is wrong and everyone you're speaking to is saying that it's normal don't feel afraid to go and seek a second opinion yeah because at the end of the day you've got to put your mind at ease like you're the one carrying the baby and like for me I was working full-time and I already had a child that I was taking care of you've just got to do what you need to do to put your mind at ease exactly I agree don't just take one person's word for it. You know, like if you had have gone to that hospital and you hadn't have been given the advice that you were looking for, or if your if your if your bleeding had have continued, you probably would have been thinking, well, this isn't right, you know, and exactly. gone and looked for other opinions. They did say that it it was normal that it could be like a capillary that had burst around my cervix, and I think for me that was comforting to know that as well. Um, and so then when I had spotting over the next couple of weeks of blood, I didn't think too much into it because I just was told that, you know, it could be a normal thing that happens while you're pregnant. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I've heard other, other stories of women who have had bleeding at the sim- similar stages to what you and I both did. And, th- and they were given completely different advice. Like there was one woman who was told that she should go on bed rest until the bleeding eased. Wow. And she said that um, the bleeding just completely stopped after she had a couple of like a week or two of bed rest. Wow. I was never given that advice. So I carried on with life. I was still working out every day. I was working full time, running around after my toddler. Yeah. And then I ended up losing the pregnancy. So in hindsight, when I look back at it, I think maybe if I had a sort of second opinion, maybe someone could have said to me, just take it easy and see what happens. Yeah. I think that's the worst thing in your mind, like thinking it could have maybe turned out differently if you'd had that bit more of help or support. Yeah, I think it's it's just helpful for people to know that they don't have to stick with the one piece of, the first piece of advice that they're given. Exactly. I agree. Okay, so um were you feeling okay with everything that happened with the bleeding? Did it kind of rock your boat a little bit looking forward to your birth or were you able to just put it behind you? I think at at the start it did. I think when I got to the 30 week mark though, I started to relax a little bit more. Brave was always measuring ahead of his gestation so he was quite big so I wasn't too concerned about if he was to come he'd be you know he'd be all right he was always measuring like one or two weeks ahead so he was a big baby he was born quite big too how big was he um so he was 9.3 pounds so about four and a half kilos yeah he was a big (laughs) so how was your experience with your with your actual hospital the hospital that you were booked in for your labor and birth 
My actual experience was quite a negative one for my first pregnancy. Um, at one stage, I think about eight, nine weeks out from my birth, I started to call home midwives around my area to see if they'd come help me give birth at home. Mm. My midwives were quite demeaning of me and my age and considering it was my first baby as well. Um, I had one midwife. She had a look at my birth plan and she said that um, I was really young and shouldn't be going onto the internet to be doing research and that I was quite naive and I was setting myself up for postnatal depression um, because I came to her with my idea of what I wanted, which was a really natural like water birth, no intervention, no epidural. Um, I wanted my husband in the bath with me. <sighs> yeah, and she kind of shut that down so fast. Um, and I walked out of that appointment and when I got into the car, I remember just crying because I was like, they don't know me and they're already saying I'm going to get postnatal depression. And that's like at that stage it was something that I was worried about was the afterbirth. I have had some close women in my life be very honest with me about that postnatal stage, particularly the first year. And so I was that I think I was more aware of that as well so it made me quite sad that they'd already put that label on me and I hadn't even gotten there yet yeah and when you're pregnant you're just so you're so open like you're so wide open and just susceptible to what everything that people say and everyone's point of view you're relying on you're almost relying on them for your and your baby's survival through this period yes take their words for liquid gold yeah so to have someone say like they don't know you had you met her before that midwife that was my first time seeing that midwife at that time as well I really wanted my husband and my mother-in-law in in the birthing room with me I've got a very because I don't have a mum myself so she was she's a mum to me and because she'd had four boys you know she'd she'd birthed four times before me and she was someone that I really wanted to be there and the midwife kind of was like oh you don't want her in the room you know it should just be you and your husband um I can't believe that she's trying to dictate what you're comfortable or not I just remember walking out and thinking like why would they even question who I would feel safe around you know yes and I think for my husband as well because he's so close to his mum being in such a stressful environment for him it would be good for the both of them to kind of because she's been through it she's watched her other family members give birth themselves so she'd be able to then help him just be like oh you know she's okay it's normal this is what's happening I think for all of us it was a good thing that she was that I had planned for her to be there and that is not their place to decide who you have in your birth space or not it is no one but yours exactly yeah and she said really consider it her words were really consider having her in the room I was like I'm not even thinking about it she's gonna be there you know like please mind your own business (laughs) yeah I'm never gonna see you again yeah exactly (laughs) I remember when my next midwife appointment came up I don't even think I turned up to it because I was quite nervous it would be the same woman. Oh. Yeah, so I just I just skipped it. I didn't go. So you started looking into home birth after that interaction with her? I did, yeah, I did. Um, I remember calling a couple of midwives and there was this one midwife that I really liked and she actually had a free spot the that month of him being due and – she just at that time, unfortunately, was just a bit out of our budget for what she was asking. And our private health, it didn't cover birth or home birth. So, yeah, we 
had no real option but to kind of go the medical system. And it's it's really hard when you're in a position where you feel like you're stuck between a rock and a hard place and You really are, yeah. You know, like you weren't comf- you weren't comfortable with the interactions that you were having with the people who were going to be helping you and supporting you birthing your baby. Exactly. So he um my husband and his family they're all from New Zealand and the midwifery system over there from what I've heard is quite amazing. Yes. They have like one midwife from the start all the way to the end of their pregnancy. Like more than half the babies are actually born at home. You know, there's very little, like little medical intervention over there. Half of his cousins have, they've all given birth naturally. It's just a very different. And I said to him, like, I was like, I wish we could go back to New Zealand and I had the baby there, you know? But yeah, I think, yeah, I don't know. I try not to think like that because it's happened. But I think for my next pregnancy, I definitely know now what to look out for, what to do. I feel like if, if more medical professionals knew how much importance the interactions that they have with expecting families holds yeah that maybe they would reconsider how they talk to families and the things that they say because I'm sure that if you went back to that midwife and told her that that one thing that she said to you made you rethink whether you wanted to birth in the hospital at all like that would probably be a little bit of a wake-up call I would hope definitely because That's just appalling, you know. You should be you should be going into your birth feeling safe and supported and you're going to be birthing beside a friend, not beside a boss. Exactly, you know? exactly. I think as well when you're a young mum, there's so much pressure in our society and in my generation as well of being a young mum. Like everywhere that I go, the first thing people ask me is my age. <laughs> like how old are you or you're so young to be having a child or being married and... It's like I almost find myself trying to make an excuse as to why I'm happy to be my age and have a child and a husband. I think as well the age of social media, it's easy to get caught up in the world of motherhood and what it should be like, not what it is designed to be like between your family. I think there's definitely a like a harder time for us as like younger in this generation, you know, over the last like 10, 15 years, people that have given birth. Yeah, definitely. Well, not only aside from the fact that birth now is so medicalized and just so different and so many women are coming out of birth with trauma. um, But aside from that, parenting and motherhood is just so isolating nowadays. Like we don't live near people who are able to help us. We don't have the village around us to help support us in our Mm. postpartum journeys. I'm quite blessed with the fact that I do have a support with my mother-in-law. She's been such a huge rock for me during this journey. A lot of my friends my age, they're not even in serious relationships. I didn't have children. And I definitely have struggled with it, the, that postpartum stage. And obviously not growing up in a normal family as well. I haven't really seen what motherhood's like. So if it wasn't for her, I definitely think I'd be in a very bad situation mentally. Yeah, definitely. Support makes a world of it's difference. Hard. It does. It really does. So how did you feel as your pregnancy progressed and as you approached your due date? I think coming up to my due date, I was quite keen to have the baby out of me. I was carrying through summer. So, yeah, by the end of it, I just was like, get you out of me. Let's get out. Yeah. So he was a March baby. So I was carrying through like December, January, February. Oh, you poor thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not fun. I not think I said to my husband, like, for our next pregnancy, let's try aim to carry the baby through winter. So it's a little bit easier. <laughs> and just clothe- clothing-wise, it's so much easier. You can just wear, like, all baggy stuff. All baggy and- stuff, exactly. Whereas in summer, I was so, like, it was sticky, it was hot, my feet and hands were swollen. Oh. It was just gross. <laughs> 
<laughs> definitely wasn't feeling attractive in the summer. <laughs> so you were ready uh, with your due date approaching. <laughs> I was definitely, definitely excited to get him out. <laughs> Mentally ready. So how did you how did you feel heading into your due date and getting closer to your birth um, around your birth plan? Did you kind of start to feel more confident with it? Were you were you feeling nervous about heading into the hospital system and ending up possibly with another midwife like the one you had interacted with to begin with? I think I found myself just thinking about maybe like just maybe putting my mind in a more positive space about the birth. Um, I think I found myself almost praying that. I'd have a midwife that would, I'd walk in and she'd just understand what I wanted and help me work for that goal. Yeah. You're trying to manifest that there would be someone. I'd manifest what I wanted. Like I'd go in and she'd be like, you know what, this is what you want. Let's do this. But unfortunately it didn't even go that way. So Aww. my actual due date was the, well, one of I had like several due dates, but on the 19th, which was one of them. I went in for a midwife's appointment, but they were all the midwives were so booked out that they ended up putting me in with a doctor and the doctor was checking my blood pressure and my measurements. And I was measuring 43 weeks, according to her, and my blood pressure was really high. Um, so she sent me up to the birth suite. <laughs> of course your blood pressure was high. Were you feeling nervous about meeting with so the nervous. doctor? I was yeah. it was my due date and I kept thinking, I had the hospital bag in the car and I was thinking, what if I go into labor today? You know, I hadn't I hadn't slept that night leading up to that. I hadn't actually slept at all leading into that appointment as well because I knew that it was his due date. And so I was like nervous, like anticipating, you know, like I wonder if he's going to come. And they don't take any of that into consideration when they're testing your blood pressure. Like if your blood pressure has been normal your entire pregnancy pregnancy, and then then this one day it's high because you're nervous and you haven't slept, like all of that shit matters, you know, but they just don't, they don't even ask about that. Exactly. And I didn't actually take the glucose test. I didn't feel comfortable doing it. Mm. Um, And they had a dig at that, that I didn't do that. Um, they're like, oh, you know, yeah, they're like, oh, maybe it's gestational diabetes, but you know, we didn't, you didn't get tested. So it's hard to tell. And I was like, okay, I'm sure it's not that. Cause I'm, you know, I've gotten this far with no symptoms of it. Um, so they sent me up to the birthing suite and the doctor in charge there was monitoring me and the baby. And he started to kind of like freak me out a little bit. He started saying that, you know, if you go in, cause your baby's so big, he's in the 98th percentile of birth weight. You know, if you don't go into labor, he's going to get stuck. We might have to dislocate his arm. All these like really scary things. And me and my husband were kind of like, oh my gosh, you know, if he doesn't come out and he keeps growing, you know, all these, like the thought of them dislocating my baby's arm on his way out was like freaking me out. Yeah. And then they said like, you know, we're giving you a choice that you can either just go straight into a cesarean or we can induce you right now. But if we let the baby grow any bigger, you know, the baby's at danger, you're at danger, blah, blah, blah. And I panicked. And I understandably, and I said like, oh, when would you guys induce me? I hadn't read up on induction. I didn't know the side effects of being induced. I didn't know um, what induction even meant, <laughs> you know. Um, and then he came back and he said, we've got an opening this afternoon at 3 p.m. We'll put the first lot of gel in and then we'll break your waters in the morning. Oh, my goodness. And then he goes, oh, we can just have like a straight cesarean and just have the baby cut out. And my husband and I at the time were like, no, I really want to try giving this a go naturally. And he goes, okay, and he went over the risks again. And I just said, no, let's just see how I go. I just want to give it a go. At any point in this appointment, was an option given to you to just wait and see how you go and possibly go in for, like, was there only concern the size of the baby and the fact that your blood pressure was high once? That was literally the only concern. They didn't give me an option to wait. They made it quite clear that waiting would be a really bad idea because he was big. 
Um, looking back on it though, he really, I don't know, he really wasn't that big, you know, like he was a chubby mm. baby coming out, but I felt like he wasn't in a size that it was dangerous. I know so many women who have had bigger babies and they've given birth naturally. I'm a big, big, big believer in that our bodies would not produce and hold and carry a baby bigger than we can birth. I agree a hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. Of course, there's rare cases where people have complications and people have, you know, abnormally shaped uteruses and they can't birth their babies vaginally or whatever. There's there's lots of those cases, but they are rare. I agree. Yeah, so their only concern was the fact that, yeah, he was just big and I had high blood pressure the day that I happened to go in for my, um, my checkup. So you were obviously feeling pretty uncomfortable with what was happening on that day. Did it cross your mind at all to say no or were you feeling more scared because of the language that they were using and the things that they were saying? I think it was a mixture of me being like really tired. I was over being pregnant. I was scared about the baby, you know, if he kept growing bigger. I did have a lot of fear around that. The thought of him being hurt or something happening to him during the birth, I got quite nervous about that. I mean, it's quite hard. It it is enticing, you know, when someone goes, well, we can give you your baby now and you're tired, you're over being pregnant, you're having trouble sleeping. I feel like they took advantage of that too. I had, yeah, I feel like they did see that, you know, a lot of women at that stage are just like, just get the baby out, you know. Yeah. And then once they sell you on it, they are like, oh, you know, induction's fine. And they kind of try to make you feel like it's not a big deal. That's what he said. Me, the side effects of being induced or nothing, they just said it would naturally help my body go into labor which is like the opposite of what it did um yeah so three o'clock that afternoon they put the first lot of gel in um they said I could go have dinner and then my partner was to go home so they put me in a birth they put me in the maternity ward actually um in a room I had the room to myself um and that whole night from four o'clock in the evening all the way till eight o'clock the next morning I was having like really full-on contractions um, and I had no, I had no support person. I was on my own. Um, and I kept I, I remember calling in a midwife, and she goes, "Just go take a warm shower." Um, and I spent it did help a little bit, but I remember thinking, "Fire out my contractions shouldn't be feeling this intense like straight away." Yeah. Um, and then she came in at three o'clock that morning to put in the second lot of gel, and I was begging her not to do it. Oh. I was like, "Please, like it's really hurting. I don't know if you can. I don't know if I can take another lot." And she goes, look, we have to, you know, just to, like, keep it moving. But things were moving. Yeah, it was moving, but she said it's normal, um, that, it, that it was normal for it to be that way. So then she put in the second lot of gel and, like, literally five minutes after I was, like, crying because it was so sore. Um, and then I hopped back in the warm shower. I didn't get any sleep that night, so this is my second night without sleep. And then my, my husband and my mum-in-law, she, they came to the hospital at 8 o'clock in that morning. They came at eight o'clock that morning and then I had the midwife and I, sh- I showed her my birth plan. Um, I got taken to the birthing suite, showed her my birth plan. And then she starts saying that like, oh, um, you know, these are, these are the reasons why you shouldn't be focused on this. Um, we might have to do this, this and this. Um, if we put a strobe on the baby's head, you might not even be able to get into the water because it's an electric strobe that monitors the baby's heartbeat if we can't pick him up on the monitor. Um, and because you're going to be strapped to oxytocin as well, um, it's you might be best because I said I want to be moving around the room. I don't want to be lying down on the bed. Um, she then said that you might find yourself lying on the bed a lot because I'll be hooked up to a machine. Um, and then she said, I'm going to break your waters now and then I'll put the drip into your arm. 
And I was like, okay. And I was so naive. I didn't, like, I really wish I'd done a lot of research into it before it all happened because she broke my waters and then she put the drip into my arm and my body went into hypertonic labor. um, And I had a contraction that was four minutes, continuous. The last thing I literally remember is her running to the emergency button, pushing it. I was being laid down on a bed. I remember like looking over at my husband and he looked really panicked and doctors, midwives, like just came running into the room. And then she put the gas on my face and I came to, and they were prepping me for an epidural. And that was kind of like, I don't really remember much of what had happened through that. Cause they had to, they put a needle into my thigh to stop the contractions completely. Um, Cause my body had reacted really badly to the, um, the drip that they'd put into my arm. And then once I had it all come down and I'd had the epidural, they'd put the drip back into my arm to re-kickstart my labor. Oh, my fucking God. Seriously. And they'd put the strobe on the baby's head. They'd put the strobe up into me to, like, like the pin it into his little head because it's got, like, a little pin into his head. Do you remember having any conversations around consenting to the epidural or to the um, to the the um, probe being put into the baby's head, the monitor? I remember the monitor part. I remember her saying, "We have to do this. We can't pick up the baby's heartbeat." Looking back on it, it's probably because I was having a continuous contraction for four minutes, and mm. she lost sight of the baby's heartbeat during that. So she kind of said, "Like, we need to do this. I can't find the baby's heartbeat." I said, like, just make sure you, like, I don't know, at that stage I was like, yeah, that's fine because I just was worried about him. Mm. He was fine the whole way through. He's, he was happy. He was just chilling. I don't really remember the epidural conversation. I I think I vaguely remember this doctor coming in and, like, just saying, you need to sit still. I'm just prepping you. I just, I don't know. I don't really remember that segment of what happened with after my body went into that. I think I kind of just went into shock. I'm not too sure. I don't really remember a lot of it. Yeah. Oh, and all of this, like you had told her that things weren't feeling right. I went in quite certain on not having an epidural too. I said to my husband, even if they're telling you to give me one, just say no. I think the way that it had happened though with my body going into that state, uh, we all thought it was the best thing to do at the time. Yeah, I don't I don't understand why they would have forced an epidural on you if they were just going to pump up your contractions anyway so that you, just so that you couldn't feel them and so that they could put the drip back in you without having to hear you complain about it. The epidural didn't actually really work. So they put the oxytocin back in and I remember like telling her like you have to stop it, I can feel it, I can feel it. And as I was saying that, my body went into hypertonic labor the second time. So this time the contraction was three minutes and I could still feel it through the epidural. So the epidural hadn't actually really helped me and they ended up just taking – she didn't take the drip off me, she turned it down. She turned the dose of it down. Um, and like throughout, they kept having to add to the epidural because I kept feeling the contractions all through it. Mm. And then they were t- I was like really hungry, really thirsty, and they kept telling me that I can't eat or drink anything. Um, and I thought it was normal, you know, I thought it was just like, oh, it's just part of labor because I've had, you know, an epidural or whatever. But I actually read a quote um, the other day and she was saying that when they tell you that they can't, you can't eat or drink, they're actually prepping you for surgery. Um, and I didn't, looking back on that, I was like, wow, they actually that whole time had planned for me to kind of have the baby cut out, to have a cesarean, which was my last idea of a natural birth. It's like the complete opposite of a natural birth. 
Yeah, it's so true. And whether whether or not the staff um, were planning for you to have a cesarean section or not, they would have known that that's how things were heading. You know, you can get a feel for how things are heading. Because he kept coming in and checking me and he's like, oh, you know, I'd been in labour from 8 o'clock that morning and it was 4 o'clock in the afternoon and I wasn't even like 4 centimetres dilated. So he was saying like, you know, if it doesn't progress, we might have to. So it was always the talk of the cesarean from the start. Um, and then at 11.30 that night, Brave hadn't come. I was still feeling the epidural and she went out, the doctor went out to talk to the head doctor and they came back in and they're like, yeah, we're prepping you for a cesarean. Like, let's go. How did you feel? Did you feel like that was in consultation with you or kind of more like this is what's happening? This is just what we have to do. At that time, I agreed to have it happen because I was just so over it. I was in so much pain. 100%. Yeah. That's a huge journey. Um, And I just said like, let's just do it. Like, let's just, I just can't, I can't do this anymore. It's like, you know, I think I was so, like, I kind of felt like I'd, I I think I remember saying to my husband, like, I've like, I feel like I failed this because I'd had the epidural and I remember just like lying in bed thinking this is not how I wanted it to go. You know, like I remember apologizing to him. Like I said to him, like, I'm really sorry, you know. I don't want to cry. Sorry. Just. No, it's hard. These are really hard things to talk about and to think back on, especially in hindsight, you know. Yeah, I think a lot of women don't actually understand the mental impact being pregnant and birth has on you. Yeah, especially when you you go into it feeling so confident and feeling like, yeah, Yeah. I've got this, you know, I'm going to do this, I've got the support that I need, and then just it all comes crashing down around you. You're kind of like... Such a stigma as well on women that have had cesareans as well that, you know, like so many women have given birth naturally and we had the easy way out. Yeah. And I don't know why, like it doesn't... I feel like birth is birth. The cesarean aftermath is horrific. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. I feel like the recovery for cesarean, I'm still still recovering from it and I'm seven months out of it, you know? Yeah. Cesarean mothers are so strong because more often than not, you're fighting in the lead up to your birth and then after that you have to fight and fight and fight for future births as well. You know, it's definitely not the easy way out. Yeah, I've already been told that, you know, my VBAC is like, you know, a lot of hospitals won't accept it and I know that if I go into a midwife and say that I had a cesarean for my first baby, they're going to automatically start pushing me down that road again, which is why I'm more determined to try and, have like a doula or a, a home midwife to support my goal of having a yeah um to have that for my second birth I totally understand why you feel the way you feel but you know at, at that moment in time when you're agreeing to the cesarean section and and when you look back on that and you feel like you've failed the thing is after everything that you had been through you were just in survival mode exactly yeah you're just doing what you need to do to get out of it just to get myself through it yeah exactly and no one can pass judgment on that without knowing what you were feeling in that moment it had been 31 hours since I'd been induced to when they when I had the cesarean so my body physically was just and mentally I just was exhausted and you're being expected to contract like hyper contract because your body wasn't ready my body wasn't ready on the back of two nights of no sleep and on top of that you're not 
you're not getting any energy input you're not eating or drinking like of course your body didn't progress they'd give me like ice chips to eat on oh my god and I remember like scoffing down like three cups of ice chips because I was just so like thirsty that's like asking someone to run a marathon on an like on a completely empty stomach and that has been fasting for two days it's fucking bullshit yeah it was really hard I think as well having a cesarean like you have dreams about like, you know, the baby being put onto your chest and watching your husband cut the cord and I wanted the placenta to be kept attached to the baby for as long as possible and she shut down that straight away. She said like, you know, there's no research to back up the, the value of having the placenta attached to the baby, blah, blah, blah. And there's so much. Like you read up into it and there's like heaps and heaps and heaps. And she said, you know, it's best just to cut the baby, like cut the cord straight away. It's really not. Yeah, it's not. But I – I think at that time I was just like, oh, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, you know. Of course, of course. You, you, It's like you don't really have a choice. Even if they were giving you a choice, when you're in that environment, having been through everything that you had been through, it's not really a choice. It's when not, you're, yeah. When you're making a decision under duress, it's not a fucking choice. Exactly. And I was saying for her, for my second phase of my natural plan, I didn't want to have the injection to push the placenta out. I wanted just to wait for my body to push out itself. And then she said, like, having the injection actually helps your body get rid of it properly because bits of it can get stuck in there, blah, blah, blah. Wow. And I just was like, oh, you know, whatever you think's best. But I feel like those first moments that I dreamt of, I, it was, like, stolen from me in a way. I didn't get to see my husband hold him for the first time or cut the cord. And then I was in recovery for three hours before I got to even, like, hold him or touch him or see him. Oh. And I remember being quite agitated in bed, just thinking, like, oh, where's my baby? I just want to see him. And I'm living those first moments of, like, everyone holding him through videos, like seeing my mother-in-law hold him and Duke hold him in the hospital room. Oh, babe. Seeing him up against my husband's chest. It's, like, all through photos and videos. And it's kind of like, I don't know, I feel like... It's a kick in the guts. It really is. It, like, it really does hurt a little bit. Of course it does. And then my milk didn't come in for like three days after having him because of the cesarean. It hadn't kicked in. My body hadn't kicked in that I'd had the baby. Um, So that was, yeah, he was like screaming because he was so hungry. And this one night, one of the nurses actually said to me, like, I'm just going to take him for a walk and calm him down. You get some rest. And she brought him back like 15 minutes later and she, uh, he was like knocked out. And I was like, oh, is he all good? And she goes, yeah, I just gave him some formula just to top him up. But she hadn't asked me if she could do that. Wow. Um, I really wanted to try. We didn't, We haven't supplemented him with formula yet either. He's like exclusively breastfed. Yeah, the whole formula thing for us was a bit of a no-no. We didn't want to do that. And then, yeah, she, she topped him up with formula he, like the second day of him being born. I can't believe that. And he was hungry. I get it. And I get it, but I had colostrum coming out. It was just obviously not enough for him because my body hadn't kicked in. So had they did they suggest maybe hand expressing anything like that it was another midwife that had come in for the second part of the shift and she actually showed me how to hand express my milk out for him so like she showed me how to hold him and then express the milk into his mouth um because he was trying to latch on and I I didn't know how to latch a baby onto me because it was my first time as well I had no one in the hospital with me like I remember coming out of recovery it was I think like four five o'clock in the morning and they wouldn't let, like visiting hours was at like eight o'clock, um, and they didn't let my husband or mother in law stay. They made them go home. Um, and I had just come out of surgery. I was really tired. Um, and then all of a sudden, like it was just me and the baby in a room by myself, and he was crying because he was hungry. And I just remember thinking, like, oh my gosh, I haven't slept in like three nights. <laughs> I'm exhausted. I just want to backtrack just a little bit because. <clears throat> that whole part of your journey just is so overwhelming. 
It is. I think I haven't really, I don't think I've, I'm like crying again because I don't think I've really spoken about it much to anyone. Yeah. A lot of people just say, you know, it is what it is. You can't really look into the past, but it's, it's traumatic. It really, it really hurts you and, you know. Yeah. It, I mean, speaking about hard things like this can be really cathartic for yeah. you, you know, it really take a little bit of a, take a little, ease the burden a little, but yeah, it's okay to look back on experiences like this and not enjoy them. Like you can look back at the birth of your son and feel sadness. Like that's okay. You know, and it's not, it's not you being ungrateful, which is, I feel like that's the place a lot of people are a coming from. Place. Yeah. I don't want to get it mixed up with me being ungrateful that I had a healthy child because he is very healthy and he was born. We were both okay, but I'm just not happy with how it went and how it's left me physically and mentally, I guess. 100%. And there are so many things in your story that just should not have happened, you know? Yeah. So if we backtrack just a tiny bit back to the C-section. Yes. Um. Did you know, did they explain to you what would happen after the C-section, that you would go to recovery? Did they tell you that the baby wouldn't be able to go with you? Like, No, I didn't know any of this. I just, I didn't even know what a C-section entitled. I didn't even know that. Um, I, I did say to them at the start of my birth, a part of my birth plan was if something was to happen, um, I want to make sure that the baby goes with my husband or my mother-in-law and not into the, not into, like to anyone else. Um, so I was prepared for them having Brave if something was to happen. I just didn't know that after cesarean I wouldn't be with him for a few hours. I didn't know Well, that. that's the thing. That unless, the, unless something really goes wrong with the surgery and or something's wrong with baby, like if baby's healthy and you're healthy and the surgery went well, there's no reason why Bub could not have gone with you in recovery. And this is only your baby seven months old? Yeah, he's seven months old. Yeah. This only is only seven, seven months ago. Yeah. Like most hospitals have an obligation to keep mum and baby together. I didn't I got to have him against my cheek for literally a minute and then they took him off me and I got taken into um I couldn't even hold him properly because my arms were thing to a table and I was like shaking. Um and so I had someone helping me hold him because like obviously I was quite tired. And then I didn't see him for like three, four hours after that. So the other thing I wanted to talk about and ask you is when you were in recovery and your husband and mother-in-law were sent home, where was where was the baby? Was it just with the staff or? They, the baby was actually with my husband and mother-in-law. It was when they brought me back to the um, maternity ward with the baby that they got sent home. So I got straight out of recovery. <laughs> Sorry, I got straight out of recovery into the maternity ward with a baby and then they got sent home. So I had no one to help me kind of through that first. And I was coming off, I was coming off, I was on endone as well. They'd put me on like really strong pain medications after the surgery. And on top of that, I'd had an epidural. So I was still quite numb um, from the, and I was tired. I hadn't slept in three nights. More care needs to be placed around mothers who end up having um, unexpected C-sections, like they should have ensured that you had one support person with you. I agree. I actually agree because I just think back on that night and I fell asleep with him on me and I just think if, you know, something could happen, that's something that I have to live with for the rest of my life. And even sharing a room with another woman that's just had a baby as well, it's hard, you know, when you've got two screaming babies and you're both really tired. 
and like the only thing separating you is a curtain and they made me feel quite I remember my um my mother-in-law my husband came to see me um and the baby and I said to her can you get me a wheelchair so I can get around the hospital and she went and asked a midwife and the midwife was like why does she need a wheelchair for and my mum was like I called her mum but she said um she's just come out of surgery and she goes yeah but she should be up and walking and this was the morning of me having that cesarean like later on in that day oh my god um and so I felt quite like embarrassed that I needed help to walk but I remember like the two weeks after having being at home my husband had to help me shower he had to help me walk around the house I had to have a special chair to sit throughout the house because I couldn't sit on any of the couches I couldn't lie down properly so I was sleeping up against a wall um, and I wasn't prepared for any of that. I remember Googling, like, how do I sleep after having a cesarean? How do I walk after having a cesarean? Oh. Yeah, it was quite a, like, for me, a very inhumane experience because I relied so heavily on people just, to, like, my day-to-day of, like, getting dressed, undressing, showering, even picking yeah. up baby. I had to have people pick him up and hand him to me and take him off me. You're so reliant. It was, yeah, it was really hard. Yeah, it was hard. And they didn't give you any support in hospital or prepare you for what it might be like recovering from major abdominal surgery? No one told me anything. I remember four weeks, maybe four or five weeks after I had baby, I tried to go for like a really light jog to see how I would go. And I was talking to like a fellow friend who had had a cesarean and she said, you know, it's like a 12-week recovery. You shouldn't be doing anything at all. And then I, I looked into the recovery process of a cesarean and what actually happens on the inside of my body as well, not just the outside, and was quite angry that no one had told me anything, that no one had explained to um, me what it would, you know, what it would be like, I guess. And the major surgery, I, I watched a cesarean video and it's such an invasive, mm. violent surgery. Yeah, it looks quite rough. It's really confronting. Yeah, definitely. The problem at the moment with our high cesarean rates is that it's just become so normalized that those conversations just aren't taking place because everyone's expected to know. Yeah. I didn't go into my pregnancy looking at cesareans or that after effect of a cesarean because from the start, it wasn't even a thought in my mind that I would end up having one. Yeah. I For the, for the most part, I had a healthy pregnancy. And I was quite like I was quite active myself during my pregnancy, and yeah, I just, I just think I felt really blindsided by it. How was the actual surgery for you? Do you remember? Do you have any memories of like being in there on on the table during the surgery? Yeah, I remember. I remember the feeling of him being like my body being tugged a bit. It felt so weird. Um, I just remember like feeling like really cold and a little bit scared as well. How were the staff in the theater room? I had one woman comment on the stretch marks on my tummy. <laughs> I remember that. What? I remember her being like, oh, you've got like heaps of stretch marks. And I was like, yeah, I know. It was like at that moment I remember like thinking that's such an odd thing to say. And it's not fucking relevant at all. Yeah, like, what the not, hell? Yeah, it wasn't really like I just I remember thinking it was like a really odd thing for her to say. And even with my husband as well, like him being there, he was really supportive. But him having to see me do th- go through that as well, you know. Yeah. Like, and he'd been running off the same amount of sleep as I had, so he was quite tired and... Yeah, and so often hospital staff don't check in with the partners either and it can be just as hard for them, you know, because they feel so helpless. Yeah, I think I I haven't really, to be honest, I haven't really asked him myself Mm. because I'm still trying to... I feel like 
in hindsight, though, I think he just was relieved by the end of it that me and the baby were okay. But looking back on it, I could definitely see that he probably got a bit scared at some points. He did say that. He did say that he did get quite nervous at some stages during the labour process. And it would have been uh, hard for him as well with you being in recovery, like, you know, with a with an unsettled baby. and The baby was really, really unsettled and I think he kind of got a bit nervous as well. Like he said that Brave was just screaming, like he wasn't sure of what was going on and it's probably because I wasn't there. Yeah. Like as soon as he got wheeled into the room and put on me, he just calmed down like instantly. He just settled, he fell asleep. But I think like for a baby as well, being just torn out of my body and then being taken away from me, that's traumatic on him. Like he's gone from in a really like snug place of safety to just being like ripped out and, you know, taken to like a strange environment. Uh, After you got out of recovery, let's touch on your breastfeeding journey a little. How did that, you mentioned before that you didn't get a lot of support with helping you latch for the first time. I didn't get a lot of support with my breastfeeding in general at the hospital. It was, um, there was this one midwife and she just was like so pushy towards me like and how I was breastfeeding him she kept trying to get me to hold him in the in like football position with him tucked underneath my arm around my side and it just wasn't comfortable for me or brave and he wasn't latching like that and I wasn't comfortable holding him like that Um, and then he would feed whenever she wasn't in the room and then she'd come in but because she hadn't seen him feeding she'd try to grab him and like latch him herself and he'd get quite agitated and then I'd get upset and then she kept telling me like I can't send you home until I see him latch for at least 15 minutes uh, she couldn't possibly have taken your word for it. She couldn't have, no. And I kept telling her, like, he's fine when you're not – I actually said to her, like, he's fine when you're not around. He's just fed. Like, it might not have been 15 minutes, but he, you know, he fed to the point where he was content. And it was just that – and I was just crying. I just was like, I just want to go home. I just – I don't want to be here anymore. I, I think I thought about, like, unregistering myself from the hospital. I think by that stage, though, she kind of started to realise that I was getting quite um, upset and agitated. So she let me go home. Um, but, and then my milk came in that next morning. So I had a whole night of just trying to sleep at home and also like have a new baby. Were you informed and prepared for that as well, that your milk would take a little longer to come in because A, you were induced and then B, you ended up having a cesarean section. So all of that contributes to your breastfeeding journey. I had no idea. I just remember thinking like, oh my gosh, if my milk doesn't come in, what am I going to do? Do I have to like, do I have to... Um, like, you know, supplement him, does he have to go on a bottle? Because I, again, like breastfeeding, I'm so blessed that I've been able to breastfeed this far considering the rough start that we had. Um, I know so many women unable to. So in no means am I downplaying it, but I think as well the breastfeeding mental side of it, it's draining and I don't think I was prepared for that either. I think like I was so desperate to breastfeed and so excited that when my milk came in Mm. that like seven months down the track, I didn't think that mentally it would start to take a toll on me as well it's really difficult and you would have been so uh, dead set on breastfeeding as well because it's like the the one last thing of your birth that you had control over that I had to hold on to and I remember feeling that as well that like I just want this to be for myself like this last little bit just to have like to regain a little bit of control yeah because I remember just waking up and feeling like I'd failed my birth And, yeah, just thinking that if there's one thing that I can, you know, dictate would be me breastfeeding. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm so glad you've been able to feed him up until now. Yeah, I agree. I'm very grateful too. So going back to when the hospital gave him formula, 
mm. in hospital. Did you say anything at that point or at what, at what stage did that happen? Like you were in recovery when they gave him formula or? He'd just come out of recovery. I think it was my first, because I stayed in hospital for two nights after I had the baby. So I think it was the first night that Duke and um, my mum had gone home and they'd she'd come in, said that, and then she had just walked out. Um, so I hadn't really processed it until I'd gone home that it had happened. Yeah. I, d- I don't say this with the um, implication that I think you, you should have said something because I feel like in, in that position it would be very hard for anyone to be able to speak up and go, hey, that's not right. I think as well I didn't actually realise what had happened, to be honest. I think I was just so sleep-deprived. I was so like just tired that it really in the back of my mind it might have had a little bit of a click but it didn't properly resonate with me until I got home and I really started to think about what had just happened it took me a week to kind of process what had happened to me if that made sense that I'd had a cesarean that I had a baby that first of all I had a baby yeah (laughs) the shock of yeah the shock that I had this little tiny human in my arms it took me a week to really come off the medication as well I was on endone for like a week and that stuff is so strong and it, yeah, it took me a while to just feel like normal. Yeah, definitely. And so much, so much happened to you as well. Like it, it wasn't just a cesarean. There was all everything that happened before that. And- exactly. Yeah. And the lead up to the birth as well. Like you go from nine months of being pregnant to all of a sudden in the newborn phase and it's just relent- like relentless. It just, you don't, you can't catch a break in a way. Yeah. So how did your postpartum unfold for you? Did the, did, was your postpartum informed by your birth? Did, was it a struggle or did it get easier once you got home and you were back in your support network? I think physically it got easier once I was back in my support network. I was able to, like my husband took a couple of weeks off work. So in the mornings he would take the baby and I would be able to have a little bit of a sleep and a rest. I think though mentally that's when it kind of kicked in a little bit. I started to feel a little bit like isolated in how I was feeling. I think even now, seven months later, I think, and it's not having a go at anyone, but I feel like everyone is so focused on the new baby and the cuteness of the baby that they kind of forget about the mum. They kind of forget to stop and be like, how are you going, by the way? How are you finding motherhood? Are you struggling? How are you? Can I get you anything? You know, they always ask what the baby needs or wants. And I feel like it's natural for that to happen because I was the same when I met new mums and their babies. But I think now I'm more intentional when I have a friend that's had a baby or I know someone who's a new mum to really go out of my way to make it about the mum as well as the baby. To ask them like, how are you going with the birth? How are you going, you know, afterwards? How are you feeling? Are you, you know, are you okay? How's the breastfeeding going? How's the bottle feeding going? Like, you know, just I think we do get a lot of support when it comes to helping baby, but when it comes to helping the mum and supporting her, I think that's something that needs to be. Yeah, it's so true. When I look, I feel the same way when I look back on my experiences with people in my family and my friends having babies. I was a really shit friend after my friends had babies because, you know, you would go over and be like, you're like, can I hold the baby? And you feel like you're helping. Yeah, exactly. And you're not like, you know, can I help do that? You know, just simple things. 
I don't know. I didn't realize that until I had a baby myself, though. Oh, yeah. I don't think anyone really does. It's um, it's one of those things you need to have your own perspective on it before you can kind of look out on how you view it for other people, you know? Yeah. And motherhood is hard. Like, it's the best thing having a baby, but it's it's definitely not what anyone – like, no matter how many times you're told that, you know, there'll be stages where it's hard, you're not fully prepared for it until you go through it yourself. It's so true. And there are some days where you get to the end of the day and you're just like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I have to do this all night as well. Like, it's like, you know, like the days and nights they just kind of like blur in together and yeah and I I feel like there's a societal expectation that motherhood can't be both hard and beautiful and it definitely is yeah I feel like as well the connotation of being like a mum and a and a wife and a housewife as well it's got such a stigma to it of what it should look like from other people's perspectives that you almost feel judged for the way that you do things or you don't do things yeah I just feel like seven months in, seven months isn't a long time for anything and you've only had a a new baby for seven months and yet you're expected to kind of, you know, be juggling everything by now. And it's like you say that it's hard and people are like, oh, wait till you have two or wait till you have three. But it's like I'm in the now and I'm just talking about the now. Mm, Yeah, definitely. So at what point did you start to look back on your birth and start to process everything that um, that had happened to you? I think it's when I, I actually remember like two weeks after I had the baby, I watched a, a birth vlog on this influencer that I really admire and look up to. And she'd had the most beautiful home birth. And I remember, I remember just starting to cry and just feeling really jealous of that. And I think that's when it really hit me that I was quite affected with what had happened to me and what my birth had turned out to be. And I, yeah, I just remember feeling sad that like almost wishing that I could go back and have a do-over. Did you feel like you could share that with anyone? Did you have people that you could talk to or did you feel like you kind of had to stay quiet about being unhappy about your birth? I think I had a bit of both. I think if I knew that I'd spoken to someone, they would have turned around and said like, oh, but you know, at the end of the day, the baby's healthy and you're healthy and that's all that matters. And I feel a part of me has to say that too. Like, oh, it doesn't really matter though because he's just healthy. Like I have found myself saying that like, oh, you know, at the end of the day though, he's healthy and that's all that matters. But I think deep down that's not all that matters. Like, okay, he's healthy and I'm grateful. Me physically, I'm going to be dealing with a cesarean for the rest of my life. You know, I've got the scar there, something that I never wanted on my body. I've got the physical inside of me still healing. Um, my uterus has been cut into, my room has been cut into, which means that my future pregnancies are now at risk. And even just the mental side of being in a surgery, whatever the reason, it's it's quite traumatic. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the biggest and and hardest hurdles for cesarean mums to overcome is the expectation that's placed on them. And there's an expectation that you just have to kind of suffer in silence and that you're not allowed to look back on it and voice that, hey, of course, of course, I'm happy that my baby is healthy. It's so condescending for you to assume that I'm not happy. Yeah, it is quite. Yeah, I think as well, um, as I said, I actually met up with a friend at a cafe and she goes, she d- I know that she didn't mean it out of malicious intent, but she did say that like, you know, or I reckon a cesarean would be easier than giving birth anyway. And I just laughed it off at that time. But I remember going home and being like, oh, it really is. And I went to a baby shower as well and a woman had made a comment about a cesarean and it made me think like I felt less of a woman having a cesarean than I would have if I'd had a birth. It's so hard. But then like even women that have given birth like vaginally, whether they've had an epidural or a natural, I feel like it's all the same. At the end of the day, you did what you needed to do to get your baby out. There's just such a – I feel like women should just – 
particularly mums, new mums, to just support each other instead of focusing on that petty stuff of how the baby was born. Yeah, there's so much judgment. So much judgment. And it surprises me that there's judgment. It surprises me that you can't go to a baby shower, you can't catch up with a friend and just feel so much like support and freedom in like yourself. You feel like you have to kind of compare your birth stories or you have to compare, you know, how your baby's going compared to another baby. Yeah. Did you seek support for processing your your birth journey? I guess you're still in the thick of it now. You know, your baby's only seven months old. Yeah, he's only seven months old. I think a part of me was quite stubborn in getting help because I kept coming back to that midwife telling me that, you know, I'm, I'm a typical case for postpartum depression. I think a part of me kind of was a bit like prideful in that way. I didn't want to admit that I was struggling. I don't think I had postnatal depression I looked at the symptoms of it and I don't think I really fit those but I think I had a little bit of like um postnatal like stress disorder I don't know I feel like I definitely struggled with the side of what had happened yeah even you don't have to have you know postnatal depression or anything like that to require support I feel like even I had a beautiful birth with my latest child, Clover, and I still needed lots of support afterwards. You know, it doesn't matter how your birth goes. We all need We all need support. support. Yeah. I think it's a stigma of asking for help. You know, you see the post that like, you know, getting help, but there's still a little bit of like, oh, that, like, you know, did you hear that mum needed help with her baby? Or did you hear that mum needs like counselling or like, it's still a little bit of a stigma behind it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And we always think there's someone worse off than me. So what am I going on about? You know? Yeah. I do feel that way too. I found myself one night, maybe a month or two ago, just really like over. (laughs) Like I had a really hard day with the baby and I just remember getting to bed and just being like, I don't know if I can do this. And then the next morning I woke up and I just was like, far, I feel so bad. Like there'd be women out there that would be dreaming of being up all night with a baby. Why am I complaining about it? Oh, it's such a roller coaster. Such a roller coaster. And then there'll be days where he's so sweet and he's really cute and you just think, oh my gosh, why would I ever feel a certain way about, you know, struggling? So when you look when you look back on your birth experience now, what's the biggest thing that kind of stands out for you? Like when you look back on it, is there one thing that kind of sticks up for you that is like a, a real big sticking point for you? Like whether it be you weren't listened to or you weren't respected or, you know, anything like that, that you, that what's the biggest thing for you when you look back on it? I feel like the complete disregard for the natural, natural intention of birth. I think when you go in there, you're just another pregnant woman in a case study. It's like you're big, you're one big part of this whole like survey of women and I think now when you go into a hospital pregnant, you don't really, I don't know, I feel like you don't really get a chance to, sometimes you do and some women have gone in and they've had natural births and it's been beautiful for them. But I feel like a lot of the time now when you go into a midwifery program or a hospital, you're prepped for an intervention of some sort. Yeah, 100%. And and I think that's something that makes me quite angry now is that just the, I guess just, yeah, just the lack of trust in the female body. Yeah, you're so right. Um, I think that there is an expectation that most women will have intervention in their births and it should be it should be the exception. Like even like, you know, when they like check you to see how dilated you are and stuff, I didn't realise that you could actually say no to that. Like every time they put you on their back to check you, you're setting yourself up for another intervention that could lead to your 
your birth and your contractions going a completely different way. They don't really pitch it to you in that manner. They don't tell you that you have a choice. It's just like, I'm just going to check you. They don't ask you. They kind of come in and they say, I'm just going to check you exactly. They don't say like, hey, can I check you to see how you're going? They just kind of say like, oh, we need to check you now. Can you lie on the bed? Or we need to do this. Can you do that? We don't, they don't ask you like, hey, is it okay for you? You know, are you happy for us to do this? Or do you just want to keep seeing how you go? I feel like when every time they check you, it's like they've got their own personal stopwatch outside just to rush you along just because it's like such a huge turnover of people giving birth and, you know, even when they said like, oh, we can fit you in this afternoon for an induction, it's like they have a whole calendar of women needing to be induced. And Yeah. And, I mean, you are on the clock. The, the second you step foot into a hospital, you are on the clock. Yeah, exactly. Like even too when you go home and stuff, like, you know, you're in there for a day or two and then it's like, okay, you can go now, but they haven't, you're like, well, you're sending me home with a baby. Like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. How has your experience changed how you will go forward um, into future pregnancies if you decide to have any more children? I definitely think I've got more awareness and awe of what my body is capable of doing. I think coming out coming out the end of a cesarean I'm even more determined now not to just lay down like literally and figuratively to lay down for another cesarean I think I'm so much more aware and in control of what I am entitled to and what my rights are um which I didn't know before I didn't know what I could say and couldn't say and what I was entitled to be during my own birth which is so crazy to me I think now that I know that I am definitely going to look into a home birth for sure and yeah, I think it's just more about taking control of taking control of like the narrative, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Well, you're in Sydney and there are there are um, publicly funded home birth programs through some of the hospitals. I know that Really? Yeah, yeah, there are. There's a, there's a few of them and there's one being started at Westmead as well. And wow. I have heard I have heard talks of them trying to make it so that that program accepts um, mums who have had previous cesarean sections. That would be incredible. Yeah, and I, I certainly don't think that women who have had cesarean sections should be ruled out from programs like that because it is more than possible for you to have a vaginal birth. I actually think having a like a like a vaginal birth after cesarean would be so much more healing to my body in general um, and more even like the benefits of having a baby born vaginally, you know, with my son, looking at all like the, the benefits of him coming out that way, it makes me sad that he missed out on all of that for himself, for his immunity, for his body, just things like that that, you know. Yeah, it's really hard. You would look at doing a, a VBAC for any future children. 100%. I think I'm quite mentally inclined that way at the moment. Yeah, my goal is definitely to go that way. I definitely don't want to be having a cesarean again. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I'm young. That's... I feel like my body is quite, at this stage, able to bounce back quite fast in regards to healing. And so I think that by the time it comes around to me falling pregnant for the second time, I do have that on my side, my youth of being able to produce a baby to have a vaginal delivery, if that makes sense. Yeah. Definitely. And everything that you've been through will just um, strengthen your resolve around that as well. You know, that's one benefit in that you now know what your options and choices are. I agree. No, I agree. I just, it makes me more, like, it's really hard when you have someone that's pregnant and you just want to tell them everything and just be like, look, watch out for this, this and this. And 
if the doctors tell you to do this, this and this, you know, you can say no or just do your research into everything because you don't want to overwhelm them. You don't want to force your opinions on them. But a part of me is really like really almost desperate just to make more women aware of what you're going into and what could be like, you know, you think you're going in for one thing, but in the midwives and the doctor's minds, they've got a different idea for you, you know, particularly when I hear like I've got someone quite close to me at the moment about to give birth and what she's got in her mind of what it would be. It makes me like almost nervous for her. Like I, I just hope that she doesn't have to experience anything that I have. Yeah, it can be quite hard because you, you don't want to scare them, but you want them to be informed. You want them to be informed. You want them to have like the most beautiful birth that they could have for themselves. And yeah, it is quite, I feel like by me talking out about it, particularly being so young, it just gives the opportunity for other like young mums and even age doesn't even matter being a mum and mum is a mum, but I feel like there is more to be said about the birthing industry. Oh, 100%. And and just just based on what you've told me about your, your story, and I'm sure that there's so much more that you could say about it, but, you know, if it, if it weren't for your age and for um, the medical system's perception on young people giving birth, things could have gone differently, you know, like if there wasn't that stigma there around, oh, she's just a young mum who does has no idea, you know? I, I feel like there is a lot of even when I'm out and about in public, it's crazy because I don't go up to mom and be like, how old are you? And she goes, oh, I'm 43 or I'm like 32 or I'm 28. I feel like because I do look my age, I do look like I'm in my early 20s. I kind of think, why is it your business to be asking me how old I am? Or like, or, or making the comment like, oh, you're really young to be having a child. I think motherhood instinct doesn't come by age. It comes by you having a baby. <laughs> I think your ability to be a mom doesn't necessarily like depend on your age, I think it's, you know, motherhood will come to you when you're pregnant when you're having a child. Yeah, 100%. I think that's one thing that does kind of annoy me that people think that they can give me advice or opinions just because I look young and they feel entitled to give it to me because of my age. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people will be able to um, agree with you on that. Yeah, it's like almost like the questions that they ask, it's just none of your business. I remember going into a shopping centre once and I really needed to change my son and the bathroom, I was on the bottom level of the shopping centre and the bathroom I went into, it didn't have a change table for the baby, but it had a, a bench with no sink on it. So I pulled out the change mat. I thought, look, I'm just going to change him in here. It's fine. And I had this woman say, there's a changing room up on the fourth level. You can't change him in here. And I just remember thinking like, excuse you, this is my son. This is my this is my child. Like everyone else is using the bathroom in here. Why can't he have his nappy changed, you know? And like I'm going to walk to the fourth level with a newborn to change his nappy when I'm on the first level. Yeah. And you think like if, if I had been a bit older, would she have said she that to me? She wouldn't have said nothing to me. She wouldn't, And I know that she wouldn't have either. I think it's just because I'm young, people feel like I need help in that regards of being told what to do and I don't. Yeah. You know, I have a certain amount of – I'm careful with who I ask advice from and for. I think motherhood, you kind of learn as you go – you kind of learn what works for you, what works for your family, you know. And at the end of the day, what I do for my son ultimately comes down to a personal choice between me and my husband, how we agree to raise him, how we agree to, you know. Yeah, and at the end of the day, nothing else matters. 
It's true. It's true. Yeah. It, it, I, it can be really hard though. You know, I feel like it's, um, I'm so grateful that you decided to come and tell your story because it's so important. Um, this age thing is such a big deal, you know. And it's that, a huge deal. It shouldn't influence what sort of birth you have and you should be taken seriously. And, uh, you know, age should not factor in to your birth. I agree. I agree 100%. I think as well so many more women are choosing to have children later in life that, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago even, it was normal for really young girls my age to have babies. But now it's on the flip side, it's, you know, less normal for younger women to be having children. So I feel like they're denormalizing younger girls at their prime age for themselves to be having a child at their choice. It's almost like a taboo in a way. Like, you know, you should be like studying, you should be, you know, building a career and then having a family. I think the traditional, it should just go back to a traditional of the family of how they feel when they're ready to have a child, not on a society that's built on, you know, an opinion of other people. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for, um, for, agreeing to come and tell your story. I think that so many people are are going to get a lot from this episode. Thank you so much, Sarah, for having me and just letting me speak my truth in my mind as well. It's been, I think, a healing process for me talking to you, being able to share what happened. I think it's the first time I've really been able to express out in words what happened and how it's led to make me feel. So I'm grateful. Yeah. And um, it's the whole reason that I've wanted to do this podcast is so that people can share the stories that are hard that maybe they feel like they can't share elsewhere. Mm, Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. Please feel free to share your thoughts with me by leaving a comment, review or rating on your preferred podcast platform. You can also engage with me on my business page on Instagram at lifeendlens underscore photography and on Facebook by the same name. If you know of someone who may be interested in telling their story here or if you yourself would like to, please get in touch. I have a submission form which can be found by following the link in my bio on Instagram. Otherwise, you can Google my business name and get in touch with me via my website or email.